All right. Well, I forgot to say earlier, if you're a guest today, um, I know we welcomed you in, but if you'll notice, there's a QR code on the, uh, the cards on your table. If you will scan that QR code that talks about guests, we would love to connect with you. In fact, if you scan that, it's, uh, we have a gift that we're going to send you. And even in person today, if you will stop by the coffee, you don't have to fill anything out for it, but we have a gift for you. We'd love to let you know. We appreciate you being here if you're here in person. Um, if you're not in person, send us an email and uh, we'll try to help you out as far as doing that. But we just appreciate um, that you would come and worship with us today as part of that. So, well, it's my pleasure to introduce uh, our speaker today, Jeremiah. And as he makes his way up, I will let you know that he and I go uh, way back. We've been uh, friends, well, uh, we've known each other. I'm, I mean, I like him. I don't know if he's uh, returning that, but you know, uh, Jeremiah and I have known each other for a long time, and I'm just uh, proud and blessed that he's going to be here with us today and bring the word, man. I will, man. Excited about it. Okay, let's uh, give Jeremiah a great welcome. I was scanning my QR code to get my gift. I do. I've got, I've got truckloads of gifts at my house from churches every week. Then I put them on eBay. <laughs> it's good to be with you. Um, I'm really going to drag you around the scriptures this morning. So if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to be bouncing. And I, I'm a little hesitant to give you all of them. And if you, if you have those old ancient paper texts, it's going to be hard. Because most of the time I'm on to the next one, they're like looking around, you know. Looking for Second Kings. It's super easy to find. It's right after First Kings, you know. So it might just be better if you just, you know, roll all the way to Genesis chapter one, which is where we're going to end up um, eventually. But um, I wanted to begin in the Old Testament, and I want to look at a couple different passages. Actually, I want to look at uh, five, and then I want to go into the new in the new. Testament, which is our new covenant. We have old covenant and new covenant scriptures. We're going to be going over a ton of fun stuff this week dealing with transition from old covenant to new covenant. But I really want to begin with uh, an article that I read that we're going to get to eventually out of Time Magazine. And it struck me so much that I, I just, I was getting my, um, I was going to go to, we had a crazy thing. We had a family contact us. I've never had this ever. And they called me, and they said, hey, we, we own our own business, and um, we don't do it every year, but when God puts a family on our heart, we respond, and um, we send families to Israel. And I was loving where the conversation was going. And they said, we want to send you, your wife, and your three kids to Israel, and we want you to pray about it. I was like, done. And then the whole COVID thing happened. And we're going to postpone it, I think, because I don't know. I don't know if this is the right season or not. But anyway, so I was at, uh, I was at Walgreens getting my passport photo because it had, like, expired back in college. And um, when I was in uh, Walgreens, I walked by the magazine rack because you're waiting for 10 minutes or whatever to get your pick. And I look down, and I see this magazine cover. And... It's, been, it's, it's reflecting the mood of our country, and probably the mood of the world, but I don't really care about the world. I care about our country, where I live. 
And it, it just got me thinking. It's, it's been so interesting, 2020 going into 2021. And I've struggled, you know, when do you just let it die and move on? Let's stop talking about it and move on. But wherever I go, it's, you know, you, you talk to churches, you talk to pastors, you talk to restaurants, you know, and they always end up tacking on, oh, we're really doing good, especially in light of COVID. You know, it's like, it's, it's been, a, it's been a, a life characterizing event, not to mention all the political stuff that we've been walking through this last year. 2020 was a doozy. It's an Indiana term. 2020 was a doozy. In fact, it was so stressing that Time Magazine puts out this article and entitles it Joy. And I just thumbed through it and end up going to the chapter, which we'll get to here in a minute, in a little bit, I guess, but it's, the, it's a spiritual peak. And it's, it's discussing, you know, what uh, scholars and scientists and counselors and experts are commenting on the emotional climate and the emotional health of our country and the need and the and you know the need like never before in this day and age for faith and i was like is this really time mag you know time's not the most conservative magazine on the face of the of the planet it's not a shocker and they're pushing for faith and it was just really interesting that it's i, I find it significant that i i do meet people you know that want to say that everything's hyped up. Some people want to say it's not, and people want to dumb it down. There's all these different responses. But I don't think you could walk through this last year, really, um, without saying there's been some type of a change. In fact, I find that most people in most churches uh, are faced with, with the reality that we probably just can't go back to life as normal. You know, when is that going to be? And I do. I, meet, I run into people at churches that say, you know, hey, uh, I just I can't wait till things settle down and we can go back to the way that things used to be. Um, I, f I feel in my, in my heart, in my spirit, as well as church leaders from across the world, um, and all you got to do is just search it, that there is, there is like this transition that has taken place, you know, that there's something new that God is doing. And it troubles me because I feel like I run into a lot of the church that's still trying to hang on to the past, you know, where I, and not, not us, not, not, not those, you know, who are here and not those of you who are watching online. I'm talking about all those other churches in the world. I run into people that just want to hang on to that, show up to church on Sunday, give some cash and go on with my thing. Got my Disney vacation, you know, I'm going fishing, going hunting, and I try to make it to church as often as I can. And it's that kind of mode of Christianity that I not only think should die, but I celebrate that it has died. Because the days, it would seem, of the massive production, I got a friend of mine who's pastoring a church of 1,400 up north, and it's running 150. And he is, he's making decisions. Where do we go? Is it ever going to go back to? And, and maybe, but where do we go from here? I want to give you some context this morning. And so I've had, I've had some time off, and, and really I've been home since November, which is rare for me because I'm always on the road. And so for the last two months, I want to drag you, and I'm, I've struggled with this. Cal called me, and he's like, hey, man, where are you going to be preaching on Sunday morning to start the revival? And I was like, I don't know. You know, he goes, well, do you have a sermon title? I go, I've been preaching for 26 years, and this is the worst, here's the sermon title, worst sermon I've preached in 26 years. 
Cal was like, that's the way I want to start off revival, you know? <laughs> and you understand, when we're talking about sermon, we're talking about the delivery of the study. That's what a sermon is. The sermon is really just the delivery of what God's been doing in your life and the delivery of the study. And this is a pickle. I mean, how do you talk about from Genesis to Revelation, the context of life that we're called to live in, which has not, there's an element, no matter what's going on in the physical, there's an element of the spiritual that has never, ever, ever changed. Seriously, biblically speaking, has never changed. We have the ups and downs of all kinds of things, but there's a spiritual context of life that hasn't changed. And in my opinion, we go through these kinds of time, and this is not the first pandemic. I mean, it's one of our generation. It's the one of the last hundred years. It's, it's, it's rocked our boat. I don't think we've been prepared for it, obviously, on many levels. But, and along with all the other things that went on in 2020, okay? So it's been a difficult year, but you understand, we, physically, there's been kind of a, a release. There's been a, there's been a revelation, but in terms of the, the biblical spiritual picture of our, of our world, it's, it's never changed. And I want to give you some context. As I, I'm telling you, this is one of the first things we learned in college. You, you take a passage out of context, you can make it say whatever you want. Seriously, you take church out of context, you don't know what you're going to get. And it's interesting because we're in our day and time, we've entered into a season where the context is all the same. I mean, in other words, what you're going through here, I mean, we, I, mean I live in Tennessee where, <laughs> dude, I don't know. They're weird there in Tennessee. Okay, this is a cut of their own. And I'm from there, I can say that. Okay, so it's, it's a little, but predominantly, I mean, the context of life is the same for everybody. And so I want to give you some context, if you will. And so what I started in, in beginning of December, I had some time off. I do a ton of reading anyway. And I was like, you know what, I'm just going to read through the Bible in like a month. I'm just going to, you know, just, I'm just going to go at it. And I was looking for context. And in an old covenant season, this is so fun. Are you ready for this? You're going to love this. And if you can stay with me, you can turn through the passages. If you have an electronic Bible, you're going to be way ahead of the, those who have the ancient paper texts, like Sarisa, which is fine, not knocking that. But um, I want you, I, I, the first place I looked at to kind of give you the context was in Daniel chapter 9. This is verses 20 through 22. And I just want to kind of give you some, I guess, some, do some speed Bible reading really quick, some speed texting. Uh, going through the scriptures. And I was, I, I'd, I'd done a class actually on Dan, Daniel this last fall, but when you come into an old covenant period, mankind is really unique. And this is something that began to stand out all throughout the scripture, but specifically in an Old Testament, an old covenant time period. That mankind was really just, they just seemed to be really concerned with entering into a covenant relationship with God and all of these plans that God has for the future and they're learning about the structure of life and following him and trying not to sin and man it's there's difficult times and there's nations and you got all this kind of earth stuff going on but it quickly becomes evident <laughs> this is incredible that above the clouds beneath the surface something else is going on there's a whole nother world. It's like, it's like driving down the highway and you realize there's truckers on CBs. There's whole other conversations going on that you don't see. There's, like a, there's a different world that's taking place. And in Daniel chapter 9, 
Of course, Daniel's getting ready to go back in. Uh, he's, he's praying on behalf of his people is the context of the passage. And he's getting ready to go back into um, uh, the land. And uh, the 70 years of exile has, has happened, and he's, and he's praying. And in chapter 9, around verse 12 you have an angel show up. And this has happened several times in Daniel's ministry as he's been writing for the first several chapters. But in chapter 9, verse 12, this angel named Gabriel shows up and he says, do not be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard and I've come in response to them. But the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Now, this guy, Gabriel, is called over and over. In fact, you'll find out in chapter 10 that Daniel calls him a man. But he's clearly described, especially in Revelation when they look back at Daniel and Jesus when he talks in Matthew, Luke, and Mark, when he comes back and talks about Daniel, how an angel had come. You know, Daniel calls him a man. But it's this angelic being that like freaks Daniel out. In fact, in chapter 10, he faints because of it. And Gabriel has to go over and grab him and stand him up and talk to him. And so Gabriel comes and says, listen, as soon as you started praying, word was given to me to come to you. But dude, I'm sorry, I was hung up by that whole Prince of Persia thing. And then he says, then Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. Now I've come to explain you what will happen to the people in the future for the vision concerns a time yet to come. And he says, listen, I've come to talk to you about you and your people. Obviously, Daniel is super, a super prophetic book, but it's specifically relating. He's always saying the angels that come to the Jews and the Jewish people, not the nations, not America, can't superimpose this on us. But he said, I'm coming to talk to you about you and your people and the time of the very end, what's going to go on with you and your people. But in the midst of that kind of talk, he's suddenly kind of letting Daniel in on, I've come to talk to you about you and your people, but oh, there was this world, you're, I mean, there's a war, war going on, you're so lucky to be out of the loop, Daniel. There's this prince of prayer, he held me up, had to get Michael to come, and Daniel's like, what is going on? There's another, there's another war. There's literally a spiritual war that's taking place. You see this again in chapter 10, if you scroll or turn up to chapter 10, and you come down to, make sure I get the right verse here, 11 through 13. There's another little neat little picture. Here I, I scrolled too far. There's a danger. There's a danger with the scrolling. And so he's continuing to talk to Daniel. This is actually at another time when he comes back and Daniel's outside and he ends up almost passing out. And it's this, this really jarring scene for him. And in verse 12, no, no, I already did verse 12. Go back to chapter 9. I told you, I, I told you before we started it was going to be a terrible sermon, so you just got to bear with me. Chapter 9, verse 20, 21, and 22. This is where, Daniel's, uh, uh, where Gabriel's introduced to Daniel. Verse 20. 
while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice, and he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. I got those, swift, I got those switched, as you can see, but the picture that I'm painting for you is that Daniel, and we skip several chapters, and we're going to skip chapters 11 and 12, but there's several chapters where this angel comes, Daniel, and he's, he's swiftly coming on the, on the scene. He's, a, he's an angelic being from a different realm, and he's consistently talking about things that are taking place that are not Daniel's concern, and he does not elaborate on them. That's Daniel's nine, uh, Daniel's chapter, Daniel chapter 9 and 10. I want to give you another one. If you want to this is one of my favorites in Joshua chapter 5. And this is right when Joshua has been released and the people of Israel are heading to Jericho. I goofed up that whole Daniel thing. Mercy. Context. All throughout the Old Covenant, there seems to be something else going on underneath the surface, above the clouds. There's another war taking place. And man is left out of it. This is one of my favorite scenes ever. Uh, Joshua, who is phenomenal. Understand Joshua as a kid actually goes into the tent of meeting and never again leaves. He just moves in with God, like God adopts him as a kid. It's phenomenal. He ends up, him and Caleb end up coming out of that generation uh, that died in the wilderness and the next generation is the one that comes in and takes the land. Jericho is one of, the, one of the first major stops. And at this point, Joshua's walking up. They're, they're getting ready to go into this whole thing. And this is before it happens. And it says in verse 13 of chapter 5, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him. And again, they say man, but this is an angel. Now listen to this language. This man has a drawn sword in his hand. <laughs> this is hysterical. Joshua walks up to him and says, are you for us or against us? And the guy says, neither. If I was Joshua, I'd have been like, dude, we're the good guys. Yeah, we're with God. But this guy says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I've now come. And then he gives him specific instruction. So you have an angelic being. Some argue that's, that's, a, that's the, this angel of the Lord figure, which is a pre-incarnation representation of Christ or a merger of the Word. And, but however you deal with that, you've got an angelic being that is, a, is, a, is the commander of the armies of the Lord. And he's not working with what's going on. I mean, he's, he, he's, he's got a mission of his own. There's, like, there's something else going on. I'll give me another one. This is in Zechariah chapter 3. And the first few verses, and this is just a really kind of a, a quick glimpse into, into Zechariah's writing. And it's, I can't, I, you know, scholars are, are kind of torn on this stuff. We just, we just don't know. Was Joshua dragged up, this high priest guy, dragged up in the heavenly realms? Was he actually transposed? Was it a, was it a vision? Verse 1 of chapter 3 says... Then um, Zechariah is shown Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And, of course, the Lord rebukes Satan. 
And then he says in verse 3, Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Take off his filthy clothes. And it's interesting, Joshua doesn't speak. And it's like he's caught between the hammer and the anvil. That there's a whole nother thing that's going on. And that he is just, mankind is somehow, whether it's Daniel, whether it's the kings of, of, of Israel or Judah, uh, through their kind of, you know, transitions throughout the time of Canaan, their exiles. And it's like mankind is caught and there's a whole nother scene. And the last one I was running just in my notes as I was going through this last month and a half was in 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. And this is a longer scene, which I won't go through, but basically you have the uh, uh, Arameans. And if you know anything about the story, basically Elijah has received the mantle of Elijah. And the Arameans are coming against the people of Israel and and uh, the king of Israel. And so Elijah is given this inside information that God is giving him on the in, inside councils of the Arameans and the king of the Arameans. And he's getting upset. He thinks he's got betrayal in his inside circle. And so one of his counselors stands up and says, listen, we're none of us are betrayers. It's Elijah. And he knows what's going on in your bedchambers. <laughs> and so the king of the Arameans goes, find him. I want to kill him. So they find Elijah somehow in their network of spies. And he's at this small town. I don't know if you know this story or not. And so he basically, this king sends um, he sends this great army and they surround the town in the middle of the night. And verse 14, it says, chapter, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14, then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, so man of God is Elijah, when his servant got up and went out early in the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. And the guy says, oh my Lord, what are we going to do? <laughs> Listen to Elijah. Don't be afraid, the prophet answered. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elijah prayed, Lord, open his eyes. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes, and he looked and saw the hills full of horses and chariots and fire all around Elijah. There's like a whole nother battle taking place. I find that from Genesis to Malachi. That seriously, there is another war that's taking place. Seriously, there's a whole other deal taking place. When you go in, and mankind, we aren't in it. Not in the old covenant hour. There's a whole other scene, something going on under the surface, above the clouds, beyond, we can't see. They don't have physical. There's a whole other deal going on. And all throughout the old covenant, from time to time, this is the closest one I could find, where Elijah says, listen, don't panic. Let me show you what I see. Wouldn't that be weird? Walmart would take on a whole other deal. Yeah, there's a whole other thing going on in an old covenant hour. Now, that's that context. When you come into the new covenant hour, and it's not by chance we're doing communion this morning, which we'll get to at like 1.30. But when you come into a new covenant hour, we're invited into that. Seriously. That's no longer something that's beyond our reach. And it's a little tentative. It's a little, man, there's some barriers. There's some, you got to be all in. 
this week starting tonight and going through the end of the week, and we might, we might have a time where we talk about a, a couple small topics. I like to be able to teach on the Word, um, but I really want to just be immersed in the book of Ephesians, because what's the book, what is the book of Ephesians about, which is where the Lord literally drove me? The whole book of Ephesians is all about Paul, who's instructing, hear me, this early church in the town of Ephesus. And he's instructing them about how to live their lives. And how he's instructing them is very different. It's very different than what we see going on in an old covenant. In the new covenant hour, you and I are seated in Christ above every rule, power, principality, above the enemy. We are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. Listen to how Paul talks about this. He begins at the very beginning, and you can go to Ephesians if you want, but really just this would be a good time to go to Genesis where we're going to be heading. But just giving you this context, as Paul writes this letter, he begins in verse 3 and he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and, and, and the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. He's not blessed us in the physical realm. He's blessed us in the heavenly realms. Well, you're like, what's the heavenly realms? That place where all that stuff was going on in the old covenant. That's where our blessings are located. He says it again when he comes down to verse 11. In him, it's not there. We're not, we're not gonna do a Daniel thing again. Oh, verse 20, not 11. He says it again in verse 20. And this is in the middle of one of Paul's long sentences. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which, ex uh, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So you have a physical Jesus. Think about this. You have a physical Jesus that's been yanked by God and seated the physical Jesus in a spiritual realm in a heavenly realms above every principality and power. Jesus was born physical, lived physical, died physical, ascended physical, and is going to come back. Right now he is physical. He's physical. He's got a new body, a glorified body, and he's seated above every principality and power in the heavenly realms, which is what Paul says. 120. In verse 6, he includes us in this. <laughs> Listen to this. He says in verse 6, And by the way, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. And you're like, hold on. I'm here. Like tomorrow morning, I got to go to that favorite job of mine. Yeah, you are. You and I are physical, but we are seated spiritually in the authority in Christ above. Dude, we're in the war. Seriously, that's, that's the language. That's chapter 2, verse 6. He moves up to chapter 3, verse 10. And he just, this is not like a little uh, uh, kind of a, a side note that he alludes to. The whole book of Ephesians is all about the church is to operate in a, and you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Listen to what he says in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, his intent Okay, God's intent in the whole thing that he's been doing in our redemption was that now through the church, through us, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. That God's plan, his manifold wisdom is to be expressed through us to them. 
And then, of course, it's the famous passage, which is the last one in Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, which is all about the seated in Christ thing. And then he goes through the whole um, armor of God, in the midst of the whole armor of God, that literally we're, 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 we're in battle, but our battle, our, war, our armor is not for physical stuff, it's for spiritual. He says in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Here, this is, and again, we had to go through all that, but you have an old covenant time period where all, not just sporadically, and I left out all the encounters of Moses and David and all that stuff, but you have the people, you know, you have the people of Israel, you have, you have human beings, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, whether it's Cyrus and the, and the Persians, whether it's the Greeks, the Romans that come on the scene during the Maccabean revolt. What, I mean, you go through and look from the beginning to the end, you have mankind and all their little physical squabbles in life, and periodically in the telling of that, that whole context of the Old Testament, consistently there's revealed there's another deal going on that we were oblivious of. But when we come into a new covenant hour, and this is the age of you and your kids, what Paul is saying and what's going on consistently throughout the New Testament is you can't live oblivious to that anymore. Your problem is not your next, our problem is not the president or the former president. Our problem is not your next door neighbor, it's not your boss, it's not Hollywood, it's not the media. And you can believe whatever you want to believe, I don't care, I'm not your pastor. But if you want to know, honestly, if you want to know the biblical context, dude, the reason I went through this, I'm so tired of opinions. Well, let me tell you what I believe. I don't care. No, I really don't care. Yeah, I care what this book says. And this book, this book, it's looking up. This book paints a picture of a context. This, I, I speak to my kids about this. And there's a danger. You go looking for a demon under every rock. We're not, never supposed to. Our emphasis is not on the enemy. It's on, the, it's, on the, it's on Jesus. But you and I live, and you, what's coming after you, the enemy, he's called the enemy, the enemy of your soul is a spiritual being. Okay, so I, <laughs> I know that sounds, but I'm talking 10, 12 hours a day of just reading. It was glorious just locked myself in my little office out in my backyard by my bee shop. I put bees out there so when people come, they get stung so no one ever comes. And it was just, I was all by myself for like a month, month and a half. It was wonderful. And I'm getting this picture of this context that there's another world going on. And our problem isn't flesh, it's, it's spiritual. And then I go to get my, in the middle of that, talk about Jesus and he's just, it's like he was speaking to me. I come and I walk in to get my picture and I see this magazine and they're talking about, I mean, look at the, look at the last one, a spiritual peak. And then I open it up to the article, does spirituality make us happy? You understand, um, Satan is not anti-religion. Okay, these two wars, okay, you have, you have good, evil, God, Satan, they're not equal, but you have these two different, you have this cosmic battle under the whole approach of the enemy, he, he doesn't hate religion. In fact, he adopts 
Paul says he, 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 he parades around as an angel of light. You've read that passage. Okay, so he's, he's not opposed of, of faith. And I found it interesting in this article, and I was just, I was captivated. They're announcing for my picture. I'm like, give me a second. And I'm like reading through. They didn't want to buy it. I'm, I'm cheap. But I did read it in aisle four. And I'm going through, and I'm reading through this, and they're talking about faith. They're quoting Scripture. And they do. They mention some other religions. And then it dawned on me. It's this spiritual utopia that you just got to believe. Even Jesus said that. You got to have faith. But they fall short of faith in who? You just got to have faith. Faith in what? You just got to believe. Believe in what? Believe things are going to get better. I mean, what are you talking? What do you mean believe? Christianity is very narrow. We believe in him. No, there's, there's an answer for our world, and his name is Jesus Christ. There's a, there's a motivation. There's a focus for my life and for your life. I believe. I have faith in him. I don't put my stock in this world. I just don't. I don't. My life ebbs and flows by the movement of the Spirit of God that lives inside of me, that I'm contributing to my world, but it's focused on a person and I find it interesting that I, I think you see this, that in our world there is a spiritual battle, and it's not like they're, it's not like they're, you know, they're unaware of it. We went to, we went to Disney because my wife is head of the family. She's not here. I can say funny stuff like that. This a few years ago, all of our family wanted to go to Disney, and they're like, it's wonderful. And I was like, I can't wait. It's going to be awesome. So I went, and I wasn't negative. And we stood there in front of the castle and sang and held hands, and I just wept. <laughs> Honestly, and I got back. I'm in this huge group. My wife ministers in town at a dojo. She's a second-degree black belt, so I don't ever lip off. And uh, they said, what would you think? And I said, it was the most, it's, it was fantastic. It was the most moral it was the most ethical, inclusive, beautiful, tranquil presentation of Satanism I've ever felt in my life. And then I wasn't allowed to stay, and they asked me to leave. But it was this. It was utopia without Jesus. It was you can be who you're supposed to be. It was be who you want to be. It was you're special the way you are. Which, in a manner of speaking, dude, I'm all about that life. But I believe he has a power and a purpose, and his dream for you is special. That before you were born, he knew you. Do you see the difference? It's not just about religion. And I do. I struggle. I really, really struggle with our country in, ter in terms of the, the, the situation in which we find ourselves. I, I almost want to look back at my generation and perhaps the generations before and say, what have we been doing? I wonder if we've fallen asleep somewhere. This happened on my watch, not my kid's watch. The state of our, our country, have we been plugging in? Have we been reaching out? Have we been, have we been in the battle or have we fallen asleep and we just, are we armchair warriors that just complain on Facebook? And that's how I influence my community. I mean, really, is that what we're doing? Really quickly, that was the introduction, but we're gonna go fast. Turn with me, if you would be willing, to Genesis chapter 1, and this won't take long at all. So in the midst of all of this, 
And it was a part of a class I was teaching in November, end of November, actually beginning of December, excuse me, when all this, I was in the middle of all this. I started the middle of November just digging in. And then I was teaching this class in the beginning of December, and I went back, and some of it was over Genesis, and it just, the Lord, I don't know how to say it to you, honestly, other than the Lord just spoke to me. I mean, I know you've had that cow where, like, you're preparing, and you're like, this comes from him because I'm not this smart. <laughs> okay, just, you know, seriously. People say that to me. This did not come from him. It, it, it was just revelation. And I'm opening up the scriptures, and I'm looking at this phrase, in the beginning, and it just dawned on me that that's not true. I mean, it's true, but is it really the beginning? See, in the beginning, God does all this creating, and you have all this physical stuff that comes on the scene. Day, night, land, earth, sky, water, animals. Adam and Eve, all the way through verse 26. I mean, it's all this physical stuff that happens, and it's in the beginning. But I really begin to find, as you can read through the first three chapters, there's all kinds of things that happened before the beginning and that was going on before this supposed beginning. God was there. So this beginning isn't about God. It's about man's beginning. It isn't about God's beginning. In fact, it dawned on me when you get to the end of chapter 3, and Adam and Eve are kind of kicked out of the pool and out of the Garden of Eden. They can't come back in. God puts the big, you know, kind of like bodyguard at the edge of the garden, the cherub, which is a upper class of angelic beings. Well, he's there. He has a big flaming sword. Well, he's not described. So that guy is before the beginning. And then I was like, hold on, there's other angels. Lucifer appears earlier in chapter three, and he's not only Lucifer, but he's a fallen Lucifer. So apparently there's not only angels before the beginning, but there was a war that took place before the beginning. That's not the beginning. There's a whole context. There's a whole history of things that happened before we ever got on the scene. And you and I were born in the middle of that mess. In fact, Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14, which we won't go back and look at, because I've already kind of killed that. But those are two biblical passages where through the prophets, God talks about aspects of our enemy. And in Isaiah 14, he tells Isaiah, God tells Isaiah, gives him this picture that he was, Lucifer was the, was, man, there were, on, in Ezekiel 28, there were stones, ruby, topaz, all these. On the day Lucifer was created, those stones were prepared for him. I mean, he walked in the garden of God. He fell, and Isaiah 14 tells us that he wanted to be like God. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, you and I were created in his image and his... I always found it strange. Why would he come after us? The war started before. There were angels and demons. Michael threw them out of heaven. There was that whole thing. We don't even know much about it. Why is he coming after us? Well, he wanted to be like God. And you and I were created like God. Would you believe me if I told you this is too big? <laughs> I believe he's so envious of you and me. He wants, he wants a place to rule. Mankind and mankind alone was created to rule. 
And when you go back and look through the first, specifically two chapters of Genesis, that God creates Adam in his image and likeness, and he says, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over all the living creatures that move along the ground. Male and female, he created them equal. You know, angels nowhere in Scripture were created to rule here. You were. What was going on in the spiritual realm that we don't know much about. I've read scholars say there's seven heavens. Some say there's three. I don't know. Whatever's going on out there, Adam, mankind was created that all that was to go on there is to be displayed through us. God and his kingdom and his nature and his glory is to be displayed through us in the physical. Adam named the animals. You know, naming in scripture isn't just like, you know, God brings this goat in front of Adam and says, Adam, what do you think? And Adam goes, I'm thinking goat. It wasn't like that. Naming is looking into the nature and speaking life over that. The same language that Adam used in the naming of the animals, he used in the naming of his wife. That doesn't dumb down Eve, that elevates everything. That Adam did everything in the nature and the wonder and the glory. And what was going on in the Father is displayed. That was Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. That's what he says. That you and I were created in the middle of this cosmic mess, this battle that was going on in the heavenlies over an adversary that wants to take earth and wants to take the physical and display his nature here instead of God's nature. We were created with authority here. Adam gave that away to the enemy. And he comes to the second Adam, that's what Paul calls Jesus in Luke chapter 4. Have you ever read that passage? This is the last one I'll have you go to. Go to Luke, go with me really quickly to Luke chapter 4. And look at verse 6. This is incredible. I dealt with this verse years ago when I was doing a study on sin. Satan eventually leads Jesus up to this high place in verse 5. Verse 6, he says, I will give you. He shows him all the kingdoms of the world. Satan's over all of them. Listen to this. He says to Jesus, I will give you their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. My first thought was, what bonehead gave him that? You did. And I did. That's what sin is. See, when Adam sinned, he gave. Jesus came to get it back. That's the good news. So I hear people talk about, what's the good news? I get to go to church for 45 minutes on Sunday and go to heaven one day when I die. Have you read the Bible? It's a, little, it's a little bigger than that. All this week in Ephesians, what we're talking about is you and I have been called to perpetuate his kingdom here in your community. I geek, I told Cal since I came in, I geeked out, dude. I look, I walk, I'm huge. I tell churches all the time, minister in your communities. We, we have, um, I started a school two years ago, me and another guy. And it's called City Takers Training Center because we wanted it to be really subtle. 
And the idea is about spiritual militant approach. That I'm not passive. That I'm going to be literally militant about spreading the love of Jesus. That's mine. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to be intentional about spreading the love of Jesus. I'm going to enter into every aspect of society. I'm not surrendering anything back to the enemy. This is my town. That I've been given authority in this town. So we're, star, we're, not, we're not going to avoid Starbucks. We're going to set, start Bible studies in Starbucks. That we've got a call. We've got a mission. We've got a purpose. This is what, this is, Jesus came back to take back authority that you and I are to walk in. My favorite place of all of Luke, this is the last kind of thing to pull it together, is when you come to Luke chapter 10, he goes all the way. In fact, you follow Luke at the end of chapter 4, he comes back to his hometown. And if you listen to his language as he stands up in front of the whole of his synagogue, he says, listen, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Okay, what about those who have money? He's not talking about physical. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. You mean those down at the jail? Spiritual. And recovery sight for the blind. Well, what about those who can't hear? They're, they're out. No, he's talking about spiritual blindness. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That we don't have to live with the stuff. We don't have to live with the attacks of the enemy. We don't have to live in oppressed. This is not an old covenant hour. It's a new covenant hour. And the disciples have such difficulty with this. That by the time you come down... To Luke chapter 10, he ends up sending out 72 of his disciples. In fact, that's the, the headline of the chapter in the NIV. It's Jesus sends out the 72. And he says, sends them out two by two. And he says, listen, I, and it's, it's different than the sending out of the 12 disciples. It's almost like I want you to see the real issue of our communities. That there's spiritual problems. They're not just physical. So they go out and they come back and they're like, there are demons everywhere. We're casting out. And that's when Jesus gives this caution. And he says, verse 20, Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that you're on the right team. And then he goes into this whole, verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Verse 18. He's, don't rejoice that you got all this. But he goes, listen, there's a spiritual war, and you are now included. Which means we have a responsibility. And here's, what, here's the context I wanted to give you this morning. I, I just, I believe with all, my, with all my heart, we look at these kinds of circumstances in which the world, and specifically our country and our communities are going through. I just think there's, I just think there's spiritual solutions to this stuff. I don't think COVID surprised him. Seriously, I don't care what side of the political aisle you're on. I don't think God was like, oh man, I shouldn't have went golfing. I should have been here this week. I don't think he's surprised. I don't think we're losing. 
We won. We win. Seriously, whenever you're discouraged, go to Revelation 22 and go, oh, praise the Lord. Yeah, come on. This ain't, this ain't bad. There's no place for depression in the, in, in the life of a kingdom individual. Seriously, we win. The battle's already won. You and I don't go out and fight. We announce the victory. So we go into our communities, and, and literally what I want to talk to you about this week is what does a Christian look like in today's society? And again, I'm not obviously as honest as I can be. I'm not talking about you. I don't lie. If you want to know what you look like in that outfit, I'm your man. Ask me. So I, I will tell you the truth. What, I'm, what I want to do this week is I want to come back and I want to look, like, look at the scriptures and what does a kingdom child of God look like in this day and hour? I think it's a little bit more than just showing up to church on Sunday. And about a doctrine that I believe in and that one day he's going to come and save me out of this big bad world. I, I don't know what we've been reading, but that's not this. That you were born, you were created, mankind was created as a solution in the physical for a spiritual war. Which means you literally carry the answer at your job, in your families, in your neighborhoods, in your city. And I just wonder if we've just gotten distracted over the years. I think if we want our cities to change, hey, run for town council. Get on school boards. I mean, we homeschool our kids, and there was a specific reason for that. But I'm not so sure that the answer is just pulling out. I think it's just taking over. Hey, run. Be involved. Not buy land and build white picket fences. We've seen that. Have you watched the videos? That there's, 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 there's a war. There's a, there's a purpose for your life. It's not just we're waiting for Jesus to come back and save us. I don't find that here. We were created as a spiritual solution in the physical world we live. And we're to perpetuate him. And I want to know what that looks like. How do I do that? What, what does it mean to be a Christian? I'm physical and I live in the spiritual? What are you talking about? I want to look at that Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. I think you should come. I mean, it's fascinating. We're going to end in communion. My favorite communion, this is so, we don't, and I got it, I ended a little bit quick so we could have time for this. My favorite communion um, retelling is out of the Gospel of John chapter 6. John chapter 6 is the feeding of the 5,000 scene. It takes place at a time in Jesus' ministry where he's only got a year left till he dies. And it's a big exodus. And you can go through all the studies that there's 5,000 that are mentioned, but those are just the men. Uh, they left out women and children, the numbering of their culture. Most scholars, I don't know, a scholar that does not say that there was less than 20,000 people there. This was ridiculous. So much so that when, and, when Jesus says, hey, you get them food, Andrew says in John, uh, John chapter 6, he says, listen, we can't go to the town. They don't have enough food to feed our group. We're in trouble. And so Jesus sets him down, has this phenomenal feeding miracle, and it's just incredible. John's gospel is the only gospel that does not have the Last Supper scene and the 
this sacrament that we celebrate. It's the only one that it, scholars say it's missing. It's not. The feeding of the 5,000 is told in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That, that event where Jesus takes the loaves and fishes and feeds everybody, it's told in all four Gospels. It's, it's, the, it's the most significant ministry, miracle in the ministry of Jesus because it's pivotal. Before this miracle, he has 20,000 followers. After this miracle, he has 120. Massive exodus of popularity. A crucial ministry. All four Gospels speak of it. In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when Jesus hands up the, uh, takes up the loaves and he gives thanks, it's the Greek word um, eulogos, which is to give thanks. But in John's gospel, it's the word eucharisto, which is where we get our word the eucharist, which is the word for the last supper. You're like, what are you talking about? That John, at the end of the first century, 70 years after the other Gospels, actually about 55 years after the other Gospels have been written, John takes all of these sacraments out of tradition and he puts them out in the, like 90% of Jesus' ministry was done outside the temple. Real ministry takes place outside of this church. Seriously, this is an equipping center. That's where the ministry is. Literally, that's the message of John chapter 6. And Jesus looks at the crowd and he says, you want to know what the last supper scene is all about? I, it's the inauguration where I'm including you in the war. I want you to take who I am and ingest it in your body. That my, my bones, my body was broken and my blood was spilt for a whole new breed of supernatural physical people that could advance the kingdom of God. Before the death of Jesus, there was one. After the death of Jesus at Pentecost, Jesus multiplied. He came to bring all kinds of sons. See, what it means, and this is why, by the way, John Wesley, when he said the Eucharist, he says, listen, be careful. Be careful when you participate in this because you literally can heap judgment on yourself because it's not something casual. In our denomination, only an ordained minister, supposedly, can present it because it's weighty. So how we're ending this morning and how we're, how we're finishing up things is we're saying, Jesus, I receive into my very body what you did for me. I'm raised to a new life. I've been baptized into your death and I'm resurrected into your life. And what was going on in you, I want to go on in me. I want to see with your eyes. I want to feel with your heart. I want, to be, I want to be placed on your timetable. I want to live with your mission. I don't want to just cut, get caught up in the mundane kind of things of this world. And I'm a Christian because I show up to a building and I believe that you died and, you know, you're the man and I'll try not to watch bad shows. And, dude, it's, it's all bigger than that. And I really do believe some, at least some of the things that are going on in our country are a direct result of perhaps generations that have had that view of Christianity. Well, I don't talk about it in public because, you know, dude, this is the time. We spread everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of who he is. I hope that made sense. That's my heart. That's what I want to give the rest of my days to. I want to be the, 
I want to be the event like Jesus where God moves through my life into my world. I'm telling you, it'll change, it'll change the McDonald's drive-throughs of your life. And there are things that have been happening in my life. We'll talk about it this week over the last two years that did not take place the last 24. Seriously. I just feel like, I, I know I have entered into a new season. I didn't expect it. I didn't plan it. It's not because I'm super spiritual. He's just said, listen, I want to do it. There's a day we're doing a new thing. Do you want in? I said, yes. But it'll cost you everything. So uh, I want to want to walk you through, want to walk you through communion. And we have uh, your packets available. They're on the tables. I think some are up here if you don't have them as well. I want to give you some opportunity if you'd like to come. If you don't have those next to you or those available to you, I'll give you an opportunity to come and, and get those. And then I, I want this to be a reflection time. My son is, while you're coming to get your elements, my son got saved last year. Kind of grew up in church, good kid, not bad. But he got radically saved when he was 14. And he's been different ever since, like different. He has a call to the ministry, high school plans change, college plans change. I mean, he's just so far down the road than from where I was at when I was his age. And we've talked about these kinds of things and the significance of them. And it's about when Jesus gave this, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the inauguration of the new covenant. We are out of an old covenant time period. We're into a new covenant where God is not in buildings, he's in us. And we've been inaugurated into a war. We've been invited into a war, which means we are game changers for our community. We're not just passion and driven, we're led by the Spirit. We're attentive to him. Jesus, on the night of his, what would be the night of his capture and the leading up to his death, he took the bread, broke it, gave it around the table, and he said, this is my body that's been broken for you. Take it and eat it in remembrance of me. And then with the wine, he said, this is my blood that was spilt for you. Drink this in remembrance of me. Father, I love the commentary from John chapter 6, verse 25 down through verse 69 and 70. 
you say things to the crowd like, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in me. And it's all, it's all significance. It's all exposition. It's exposing. It's revealing the significance of this kind of an event which celebrates a new covenant that we've entered into with you. And then disciples are sent out. And we're called to make disciples. We're called to enter into a world where we take back because Jesus, all authority has been given to you. And you've called us to walk and live in your authority. We're We're to be led by the same spirit that led you. We're filled with the same Holy Spirit that fell on you. You demonstrated the life that we're to live, to set captives free, to heal the sick, to minister to our next door neighbors. This is what communion is. It's I'm jumping in, Lord. I'm I'm literally bringing into my body you and your mission and your focus and your kingdom. Let Let it come, let your will be done. So Father, in these moments as we as we reflect, Father, some may want to come and pray. Some may want to sit. Some may want to process, read. I pray that you would open our eyes. Holy Spirit, come. Lord, I've read where there's been times where the Holy Spirit was just so present. You, you were so active. You bring conviction. You bring, you bring heart transformation, not clever preaching, not neat stories, not even church tradition kind of things. You, you and you alone transform. And I, we invite you in these moments. This is what we've been praying for today. This has been on my heart for this week, Lord. Would you, would you come and would you just immerse our minds in this new context of life? There's method to the madness. There's something beyond my Monday through Friday routine. That there's a bigger, there's a bigger world that I'm, com- that I'm contributing to. We're going to just spend just a few moments in reflection. And when uh, Pastor Cal, your pastor, feels the time is right, he's going to come. and He's going to give us a closing thought and, and pray for us and dismiss us and maybe a, uh, some instruction about this week. I would love to have you here. Listen, I want to be responsible with your time. We're going to get you in and out of here in a, in a, in a reasonable time, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. And so I, I'd like to just walk you through what we're finding in Ephesians, which is astounding. And again, it's, it's beyond just my opinion stuff. This is beyond just theology or something I learned at college. There, is, there's, there are things that Paul is talking about that just shakes you to your core that you and I literally are the movers and shakers of our world. You matter. The body of Christ is literally the only hope that our world has, literally. And you've been invited into that. So I would love to just walk you through, and it's phenomenal. Tonight, we're gonna, I don't know if we're gonna get to it tonight, but tonight or tomorrow night, we're gonna be looking at topics that Paul mentions like predestination. People are like, you believe in predestination? Well, I can read. That word actually appears twice in Ephesians chapter 1. What does that mean? 
It's, it's warfare equipping language that we're blessed. Who we are. So I want to invite you to be a part of that this week, tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. Tonight's at 6 o'clock. Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday's at 6.30. We'll be responsible with your time. I think we may have child care and all that stuff available. Pastor's going to talk about that. But let's just spend a few moments and just reflect on what he's talking about and uh, what, he's, what he's speaking to us from cover to cover in the Word about this context of life. I appreciate you.